Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and today I'm excited to bring an issue that I think is really sort of the nitty-gritty of being a professor, being in academia. So a lot of you in higher ed uh, will sort of nod your head along to these things, and some of you who uh, maybe aren't in higher ed or or aren't in academia will will kind of learn a lot about sort of uh, the the behind-the-scene things uh, on a global level. So this is The SSCI Syndrome in Higher Education, a Local or Global Phenomenon. And this is from uh, uh, a series in Competitive and International Education, a Diversity of Voices from Since Publishers. And this was published in 2014. And today I'm excited to bring on the editor of this book, uh, Chewing Prudence Zhou, uh, from the uh, Chongqi University in Taiwan. Uh, Dr. Zhou, thank you for joining me today. Hi. How are you doing? Very good, very good. Thank you uh, all the way from, from Taiwan, and I'm here in New yes. York, so uh, I appreciate you uh, making making the time, because uh, so late there. Pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it's late. If we could, let's maybe hop into your background. Can you kind of tell us uh, your background, how you got into education, uh, and, and uh, just, you know, how, how you sort of, uh, your path brought you here to where you're at now? Yes, I um, I've been always interested in um, education, uh, especially when I was doing my PhD in comparative ed and international education uh, at the UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, long time ago. And um, actually, uh, the motivation for me to went to go there uh, in. Uh, late 80s was uh, to learn more about China. You know, that that during that period of time, uh, we still had uh, martial law, mm. and it's, it's a forbidden topic uh, about China and Taiwan. So I went to the U.S. instead to pursue my professional training there. Right. And after that, um, I end up, and, and the China studies in education tend to be Part of the comparative ed circle. So I, I spent a couple of years there and then um, returned to Taiwan and started uh, working on China um, from international perspective. So that's how I landed as a China hand, so to speak, in education in Taiwan. Mm. Okay, absolutely. And a lot of experience there, which I think informs this book considerably. Maybe we can kind of talk about how this came together and sort of your, your connection with the uh, yeah. comparative international and, education. Oh, go ahead. Yes. And yeah, as you all know that um, in East Asian region, especially uh, when we talk about, um, for example, uh, education in China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau, even in Korea, Japan, or Singapore you always come across with the idea that 
these regions have something in common the uh, Confucius heritage. Right. Uh, some family value on education. And also, um, education has been considered as priority, not only for the child or child, but also for the family. So it's, it's a family thing, it's a cultural thing that you have to do well. And so, so is in academia. Well, if you are in the academia, you are considered, uh, you know, in a very high uh, profile, in a very respected, respected uh, social status, so to speak. So that's why um, it's good that everybody value education a lot. Parents put that efforts on children's education, making sacrifices to help children out like in, in, in school. But on the other hand, ranking becomes a serious issue. When you say ranking, uh, we mean competition in your grades, competition in succeeding uh, to a better school, in high schools, in universities. Even today, uh, at a university, unfortunately, because ranking, especially the, the issue of the world-class university ranking, picks up all the competition and um, regardless of any social differences, any different uh, academic discipline, nowadays uh, government, especially in these countries, spend so much effort and investment pushing university into the world class. Mm -hmm. um, as a result, uh, many faculty members, especially in China, as I mentioned, those receiving countries, um, the academic faculty members now are evaluated based on their publication, right. especially publication for international journals. Um, and I don't blame this trend because in sciences, in natural sciences, in engineering, in medical sciences. I mean, that discipline has been always uh, considering publication uh, in international journal as the priority. It's been there for many, many years. So when you speak, when you talk to um, faculty members in social sciences and humanities, they are very much cultural bound and Many faculty members in these disciplines focus so much on local issues. Uh, because of that, because um, I think everybody knows that, for example, education, not only in Taiwan, but also even at Harvard, Harvard University School of Education focused very much on domestic issues only. Right. With English. Uh, as the major uh, language. So, so was in many other parts of the world. So I think that um, in Taiwan, especially we, we at, at, as the faculty member in education field, we always focus on our local issue, how to deal with education problems, how, how to come up with education innovation in the classroom, and so on and so on. So we use lots of language, such as the Chinese, of course, as our major publication language. And we, we talk to talk uh, to our uh, teachers, local teachers, 
in, in the local context. But because of that trend, as I mentioned, nowadays the many, many faculty members are required to publish more English journal articles, especially in those so-called SSCI, the Social Science Citation Index, right. which used, uh, used to be uh, library database for you know references. But nowadays they are becoming the uh, high stake of criteria for publication, mm -hmm. regardless of regardless of any discipline. Right. Uh, that that's why that triggered uh, my motivation, my inspiration, or my interest in editing book of such the SSCI syndrome. I created this term my, myself. The reason, because the syndrome now is becoming widespread, it's becoming uh, rampant all over the world, especially the non-English-speaking world. Mm -hmm. You can tell, not only in Taiwan, but also um, you know, East Asia, of course, Singapore, China, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea. But also, in, for example, Iran or in Mexico. Or even in some other, um, you name it, uh, some countries, some states in the Middle East, you can tell that more and more pressure on pushing faculty members in social sciences and humanities. Uh, right. On this have you so have you talked I mean, at various conferences and things like that? Have people responded yeah, to this and and? Told you like yes, it's the same problem we're having in, in our yes, country. yes. Like the East European colleagues uh, last year when I was having a conference in Athens, and they talked about this one. And faculty members from Mexico they discussed this this issue. So it's 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 uh, unfortunately it's 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 more like a worldwide issue that social scientists. And humanity experts are facing mm -hmm. very much the same dilemma. Right. We were caught in between. Uh, first, we need to take care of our local issues. Our, uh, you know, we have to come up with something helpful, useful to our local needs because we are using public money, right. public spending, right. uh, on education. But on the other hand, we have to correspond to the world issue and sometimes accommodate or compromise our research topics into the uh, so-called mainstream English journals. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, we have to appeal, we have to uh, come up with some topics that would interest the mainstream editor-in-chief so that our papers would be Accepted for publication, right. so it's more like a dilemma. It's a, it's a, and it's a really tough for us. Right. Yeah. Can, can we maybe jump into uh, the SSCI a, a little bit more? You sure. mentioned it was, uh, it started out as sort of a, a library listing. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit more and how it grew into this? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Go ahead. The um, actually. Uh, the SSCI is the, the um, abbreviation of science. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a 
there are a few abbreviations. Uh, SCI, Science Citation Index. Mm -hmm. SCI stands for uh, Social Science Citation Index. Also another one, A and HCI, the Arts and Humanities Citation Index. Mm. And also another EI Engineering Citation uh, Index, Citation Engineering uh, Index, something like that. They, all of them uh, are the um, run by the uh, Thomson Reuters company. Right. And it was uh, it, it is a, a profit driven organization. Means these data base they charge charge each university or the library mm. to a great uh, expense. Right. Millions of dollars. So that's that's why we said if they are they used to be for library references only. I think it's okay. But nowadays they become the criteria, the major criteria for publication. Any, for example, if you try to uh, publish your your article here, if first if you search whether this article, this journal, belongs to a, a, the SCI, SCI database, right. if it's collected in those databases, you are safe to submit. If they are not, and then they are considered secondary or you know low profile, low, uh, not not very good. Or you, you may put it in this way. Um, last Friday, when I was in a con international conference in Taiwan, some colleagues from overseas mentioned, "Oh, after this conference, we should come up with some articles to be published in some good journals." So he meant he mean there's some good journals and some bad journals. Right. And we should always go for good journals. So I protested that <laughs> his talk. I said, well, when you say good journals, you mean SSCI only? What about we have so many other journals, and especially they are not for profit. They have public access. Right. And they are not making any money out of it. They are just for the common good. So we can share, you know, for the circulation, free, free circulation of information, just like what you are doing now. Yeah. So I guess, you know, when you consider, you can you classify them into the good and the bad. So the consequences are for those so-called good or high-cited or those SSCI journals, they have too many papers on the waiting list. Mm. They are very competitive, and right. I don't want to say their 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 quality must be better than the others. I I I am not sure because there is no you know evidence to show. I know most of the journal have peer review. Right. Even with the peer review process, there must be some something behind the scene, some hidden rule. That you have to know, you have to play the rule of game. Right. For example, you know the rule, you know the editor, you know the topic, you know their interest, something like that. So I, I mean, it's no, it's still biased in a way. But when you you say good and bad journals, 
you mean you are reproducing a very capitalistic idea in academia that you 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 um, help those high how do you call it? not high quality but highly competitive journals right to be in a situation that they I, I sometimes I have to say they become very arrogant in a way. I see. Because they are highly in demand. On the other hand, many, many non SSCI, non SCI journals, they are short they are short of submission. Right. And especially in the local what I'm seeing here, the local non T S S C I we also come in Taiwan, we also come up with a Taiwan Taiwanese um, social science citation index we call as a TSSCI. Mm. For those non TSCI journals, they are running out of paper submission. Right. So that creates a very unequal profile between the highly in demand journal and those who are not. Right. I don't think that's the name, that's, that's the essence, that's the uh, real meaning of our work. Right. right. And can, so this is all connected back to this idea of world-class universities. Mm-hmm. Can, so can you kind of talk about how exactly uh, the SSCI connects uh, to these rankings and, and what, what... Yeah, the or, I think the, the origin um, of the issue um, primarily was because of the neoliberal principle, you know, right. the market ring, um, the competition uh, will, you know, the accountability for the university. Right. So and so, that that part of the reason behind this whole, this whole SSA syndrome. And apart from that, the world-class university ranking uh, benchmark started 2003, first uh, initiated by Shanghai Zhaotong University right. in China. They come up with some uh, ideas and scheme about comparing universities with their own scale, with their own categories. For example, how many no, uh, Nobel Prize winners Right. The university could uh, recruit and how many papers in those, you know, SSCI, SCI, and how many, uh, the ratio between students and faculty members, and how many foreign or international students and faculty members on campus. Right. So on and so on. But these type of rankings uh, focus so much on publication research only. Especially for, as I said, the uh, the um, number and, and also the number count. First, the number of publications. Second, the citation, and then the impact factor. Right. So all sorts of ranking all the universities worldwide with a very pseudo. I should say it's a pseudo. It's a fake. Uh, objective criteria. Right, the measurement. 
the measurement based on those numbers, those figures, quantitative figures. So that, so you tend to see that the, the top 100 universities or 200 universities, who are they? Right, they're all Western or American. Western, English-speaking, and comprehensive university. Right. For example, Harvard. What about, um, for example, the French ministers of education always complained and protested over and over again to China that they urged Chinese government shouldn't let these kind of Zhao Tong University or ranking uh, competition win or sometimes overshadow others, um, example French. Right. French universities are very, um, you know, none of them or very, very few of them have been uh, given their uh, measurement. Right. The reason because the French university, according to my Chinese colleagues who mentioned they, they, they conduct some interviews with those French universities and then they realize most of the French universities are not comprehensive universities. They are classified, they are grouped into different functions based on, for example, the university of A, A university probably is it's good, it's, it's the mission, the major mission is for uh, teaching instruction for the majority of the students. The type B university is for research only. That's the research institute. Right. For research publication only. And the third one is only for professional schools and, and masters and PhDs. So they are they, they have very specific functions of their university and research institute. They are not like American universities, one size fits all. Right. Combining all the research, teaching, and community services. So you can tell that it's it's a very relative. It's a, actually it's actually to me, it's a very unfair and also very superficial comparison. How how could university be compared? Right. I, I mean. They're, oh, go ahead. They are not based on the same level. Mm -hmm. the, 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 they are not on the equal footing at all. University of Harvard, how much the endowment? Harvard can be as rich as uh, any small or, or medium-sized country. Right. Very so true. it's unfair to you know to do those ranking uh ranking you know uh. Just ranking, whatever competition or ranking scheme, right. it's 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 nonsense. But the legis legislature, Congress, even the government, they buy it because they they rank the universities so the university can be simplified based on the measurement. Right. So everybody knows, you know, this university uh, is the top. 100, top 200, something like that. But I think that's not the nature of, of the university. That make the university um, to compete without appropriate resources, or sometimes force the universities to 
take the shortcut, for example, to um, drive their faculty members to publish more, to meet the criteria for the ranking purpose. It's not for the university, not for the higher education purpose. The mission is no longer is distorted by this ranking result. Right. And, and I mean, I think you hit it on the head with this idea of competition, uh, which I think maybe it's very uh, normal for an American context, potentially. Yeah. But outside of, of the U.S., maybe there isn't um, an expectation that higher education institutions are, are fighting with each other. But you know, with these rankings yeah. and, and the SSCI, that's become the, the sort of new reality in higher education globally. It also changed the uh, collegiality uh, within the uh, institute nowadays, uh, especially for those um, you know, untenured or, or junior faculty members. They are, they are uh, at the stage of publish or, or perish. Yeah, right. Place, which is which not only created lots of pressure on their survival, but also, uh, you know, um, taking lots of time, or you know, um, how do I say, taking lots of their time away from teaching. Right. Yeah, because the research and publication now are considered the top priority in teaching. You know. There's no teaching competition worldwide. You know, <laughs> the world-class university ranking, nobody said, you know, how good your teaching quality is. Right, right. It's not a measurement. It's not a criteria at all. So that's, that's, that's teaching now in many so-called top research universities. Teaching nowadays is considered secondary. Right. And which is terrible. Right. I think you, you kind of wrap the book up with, with your chapter as a question, and you and you says, has, has higher education lost its soul? Uh, yes. Can you maybe talk about what what that question means and, and the search for that answer? Uh, as you just mentioned, universities, especially higher education systems, very different uh, from the American model. In America, you have so many private institutes that. that are based on profit organization that are run by some company or even by some private sectors that can be for profit. But whereas outside of the U.S., I, I did some international comparison and I, I realized that most of, I don't want to say 100, but maybe the majority, a great majority of universities outside of the America are government run, right. mostly, just like the one in Canada, or even in UK, mm -hmm. in France, in Germany, even in, um, in China. We have so many universities that are run or monitored by, university, by government, um, so that there are so many missions to be fulfilled. And education is only just one of them. I have to say that most of the universities in the world, outside of U.S., are public uh, or are considered public goods. 
um, even public universities are considered the majority in in a, in a in a country, so that we have to fulfill the mission to educate the next generation. The education purpose, teaching responsibility, are very very important, even priority for us. And research is we have to adapt research in order to improve our teaching. The research is should be as equal as teaching mission. And then community service, especially for faculty members in social sciences and humanities, we always have to conduct research relevant to our local needs. We call social relevancy. So that's why um, if universities, the top priority are for the, uh, for the fulfillment of public goods, we should keep in mind that um, education should keep itself for the betterment of, uh, of others, for the betterment of our next generation, for right. the improvement of our society that that's the goal for the university, you know, especially the origin of that mission. Right. But because of this SSCI and world class university rank, now um, I have to say we are forced to conduct something that um, alienated or um, um, something that. Unnatural things? Unnatural, drift us apart from our original goal. Mm. For example, more and more faculty members are becoming very, very selfish. Mm. I have to say, altruism is the beauty of collegiality, it to be the beauty among faculty members. We share, exchange our ideas about research. But because of the competition um, for publication now, Many many people they use, uh, you know, uh, they publish papers out of very very short period of time because the number counts. So uh, you couldn't really share with others because you're afraid someone might steal your ideas, your originality. Something right. Like that. Right. So they become memories become very very narrow and. For those who have good net, network, they can reproduce their work so quickly because of the networking. So it's not only uh, people become very selfish, but also, um, how do you say, um, they... Uncooperative or... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, collaboration depends on if you are on the right track, you probably, you are... Uh, you can cooperate with many others, but if you are not on the right track, for example, if you couldn't get approved of uh, of your research funding, probably you are out. Right. So it's 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 a it's a very unhealthy and um, unnatural climate, okay. academic culture. Right. That we have. I think. I mean, I haven't been in academia that long, or I'm. Moving there, I'm, I'm not even there, but I, I can already see or, or sort of 
recognize that that's out there, which I, I, yeah, I think you're right. Isn't really uh, a healthy environment or climate uh, for innovation and and different ways of thinking. Uh, If you could maybe, Oh, go ahead. So that's why I, I, I think we have to pay more attention to this issue about the unhealthy or the world, the unnatural world-ranking university. We have to bring this issue out that it's, it's so many side effects and who really benefit from those syndrome, SSCI syndrome, right. or uh, world-class university ranking. We have to point this out to our general public and to warn our academia and warn our government. Right. This is not the only choice that they should follow. Right. Okay. Well, any any final words on uh, on this book uh, that you want our audience to maybe uh, know or recognize? Well, yeah, there are not many. Although the issue has been attracting many many attentions worldwide, uh, the conference I went to all received um, you know very similar. Sentiments about this issue, the whole SSCI issue, not not necessarily using this name, but the published parish and the world class university link. Right. We all know the side effect. We all know there's something wrong with this system, but only there there now we still we are still lacking collective uh, action, uh, even collective research, a series of research uh, in this regard that with more uh, empirical data to show what kind of side effects, or even to argue what good and bad about the system and how we can improve. If something came out uh, from this publication competition, we should say it. But what about the downside? How can we avoid, how can we improve this that downside? especially for those who still struggle in social sciences and humanities, for those who are still very junior, very vulnerable to this system, how can we help them out? How can we bring back our, um, uh, you know, academic soul? Right, right. Okay, well, I I encourage everyone to uh, check out the SSCI syndrome in higher education a local or global phenomenon. Uh, Dr. Should a final question for the New Books uh, Network. Uh, can you maybe talk about what's next? Uh, I understand you have a, another book project upcoming, but uh, or anything uh, else you want to share with us? Yeah, I, I probably I have two uh, new books in progress. The first one is the uh, Chinese Models of Education uh, from Diverse Society that I try to, um, because of the rise of China, and uh, we try to uh, examine whether there's a, something in common across the globe that the Chinese societies, not only in China, but also outside of China, in the U.S., in the U.K., or even in Taiwan, if there's some, anything in common that how education heritage has been carried on and uh, this is also inspired by the Tiger Mom. Right. The, uh, that book, Amy uh, yeah. And we, yeah, we'd like to give some alternative viewpoint about her book. And so, um, you know, 
to see whether that's, uh, there is uh, any um, models of, of Chinese education or not. Right. So this is my uh, new book. Hopefully, will be published at the end of the year or next, early next year, 2016. And another book um, right, right now, I'm still uh, thinking about that one. It's the uh, the Taiwanese higher education model of high, uh, the, the Taiwanese or the Taiwanese higher education model. Um, as I mentioned, it's unfair to compare orange and apple. Um, you know. With the same measurement, right. and I have to say that a Chinese education model um, deserves some attention because, for example, our tuition is quite inexpensive, um, and we run the university with a very high co um, with with the, with a very uh, cost-efficient way. Mm. We have so many. We have more than one hundred sixty universities uh, out of. A 23 million population in population in Taiwan, and we also attract lots of international students, especially students from China, mm. that who enjoy uh, with very low tuition. I have to say, but with good quality. So I, I, I uh, the next stage, I would try to investigate uh, some models of Chinese uh, high end and to see, hopefully, that would set some example for some other um, neighboring country or some small size, medium size countries that can uh, take into it as reference how to run good universities with a limited budget. That, that's probably the subtitle of book. <laughs> okay. Well, we, yes. we look forward to, to both of those and uh, potentially I can have you back on. Uh, for a chat about that, because that's certainly an interesting area for me and I think a lot of our uh, listeners as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. So I just, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Uh, Prudence Joe, for joining me today. And I encourage everyone to check out the book, The SSI Syndrome in Higher Education, A Local or Global Phenomenon. And to, to all the listeners out there, I hope you learned something.